ads. Are we live? Ads, ads, ads. Reading ads. Before this episode of Tales from the Crypt with Jesse Matchy, we went deep, went into it. We enter in conversation about they. Who are they? What do they want? They want to control you. They hate you. They may be evil. I think they are evil. This trip was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. We're right down the hall from here at the Bitcoin Commons in Austin, Texas on 6th and Congress. And right down the hall from where we're recording right now, they're building products that are going to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. Not only that, they're building financial products so that you can use your Bitcoin as collateral. They're building IRA products. They've got concierge service. was going to onboard you, take you from zero to having a multi-sig volt set up with a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats. You're going to walk you through the process. If you tell them the TFTC sent, you're going to get $50 off. The way it works is you're going to have multiple video conference calls. They're going to get you comfortable with multi-sig. Just one of Bitcoin native, native properties. One of Bitcoin's native properties. They're going to get you comfortable with their Vault product, which implements a two or three multi-sig in which you hold two keys. Unchained holds one key. So you always have control of your Bitcoin, but Unchained is there. If you're ever in a pinch, you need them to be the second in the two or three signature quorum. They're going to get you hardware wallets. They're going to help you get them set up. They're going to do the whole shebang. Okay, go check out everything they have going on at Unchained.com. Again, if you want to do the white glove concierge onboarding service, tell them that TFTC sent you. You're going to get $50 off that package. This rip was also brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains. Coming to you live from the Czech Republic. They're the team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest Bitcoin mining pool in existence. And they're the team behind Brains OS Plus firmware, which helps you stack more sats with your hash. If you have an ASIC that's compatible with Brains OS Plus and you're not using it, you're an idiot. You're leaving sats on the table. Don't be an idiot. Download Brains OS Plus firmware if it's available. Hear what's miners coming soon. But again, not going to hold my breath. Ed Evenson, you liar. You said soon years ago. I define two years as not soon, okay? They also have insights.brains.com. Again, brains with two eyes. Uh, if you want to get a, a, a snapshot of everything that's going on in the mining ro- world from a data perspective, you want to look at profitability, cost of mine of Bitcoin, hash rate, difficulty, pool statistics, boom, insights.brains.com. They're also going to be hosting a mining conference in the Czech Republic in Prague this summer in June week of the 15th, whatever that week is. I believe the conference is on the 16th. I'm not going to be able to make it because I'm having a baby. Goddamn. Procreation gets in the way sometimes. Uh, Go check out everything they have going on at Brains. Brains Brains.com. Insights.brains.com. I think it's the Bitcoin Mining Conference.com. Could be wrong. Go check out that website. If it's not affiliated with Brains, I say it to the wrong place. Sorry, Brains. It's what you pay for. This for it was also brought to you by our good friends at HODL, 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 HODL is here to leverage Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties as well to bring you a lending pro- platform, lend.hodlhodl.com with no KYC, no AML. The way it works is you put your Bitcoin in a two or three escrow wallet. You hold one key, your counterparty in the trade holds one key and HODL, HODL holds the third key as an arbitrator. 
beauty of this is you don't have control of the Bitcoin. You can't move it in and out of the wallet throughout the duration of your loan for obvious reasons. However, since you do have one key, you have visibility in the wallet so that you know that your sats are not being rehypothecated. And they're going to be there at the end of the day if you're paying your loan back, plus the interest associated with it. So you put your Bitcoin in this multi-sig escrow, you get stablecoin liquidity. In return, you go spend those stablecoins however you see fit. And again, as long as you're paying that back, plus the interest involved with the loan, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the loan. Alternatively, if you want to get yield on stable coins, if you're a stable coin guy or girl, excuse me, I just burp, burped again. You're going to uh, put your stable coins up to be lent out and you're going to get yield on that in the form of Bitcoiners using it and then paying you back interest. Lend.hodlhodl.com. Go check out the platform again. No KYC, no AML. Pure Bitcoin stable coin. No fiat rails being touched there. Stable coins do come at risk, but I would have argued they're like less risky than your traditional banking. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Bitcoin 2022. It's going to be the biggest fucking conference ever. Not only Bitcoin, just in the world, any conference, a calculator conference, science conference, a football conference, whatever, like Bitcoin 2022 is going to be bigger than all of them. It's in South Beach, Miami, April 6th to 9th. It's a four day event. The first day, industry insiders if you're like in the industry you want to be grinding you want to be meeting people that are doing things you're going to want to sign up for day one day two and three are general conference days you're gonna have your open source stage you're gonna have your mining stage you're gonna have ceos like michael saylor that that guy jack mallers president naiba kaylee president of el salvador is going to be there apparently he's got a big announcement here he's remodeling his kitchen. He's gonna he's gonna have a, a slideshow that just walks through what he's thinking. And then day four is gonna be a, a first ever Bitcoin music festival. Logic's gonna be there. Dead Mouse is gonna be there. Run the Jewels is gonna be there. I hear Neil Young showing up, uh, and and J- Joni Smith as well. They're gonna they're gonna crawl out of their retirement homes and play a few songs. I don't think they understand the crowd they're gonna be playing in front of, but. Apparently, you're going to show up. I kid, I kid. I hope. <laughs> that would be cool if they showed up. You know, have a nice conversation. Like, hey. Do you really think you have that much influence anymore? Do you really think people care? I like Harvest Moon. I like California, Joni Mitchell. But I don't think you should have that influence. Uh, there's going to be a live rabbit hole recap there, too. Uh, Matt and I are going to do it. I believe day three. If you haven't bought tickets to the event yet, and again, South Beach, Miami, April 69th, biggest fucking conference ever. Not, not, not even Bitcoin ever. Dental conference, insurance conference, teachers conference, iron workers conference. This is bigger than all of them combined. Go to b.tc slash conference. Use the promo code TFTC and you're going to get 10% off your tickets. Uh, I believe tickets go up February 17th. Could be wrong. Just know that ticket prices go up at some date in the future from now. So you want to get them sooner rather than later if you're going to go. Again, use the code TFTC. You'll get 10% off. Biggest fucking conference ever. Do you want to be a part of it? I'm going to be there. Hope to see you there. Enjoy. Thank you. 
You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Jesse Matchy, what's it like being in Twitter jail? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, man, it's, it's, uh, it was kind of a kick in the face because I looked at this and I thought, how many people have built so much of a, of a following, um, their careers, their livelihoods, their, their movements that can be just wiped, you know, with a click of a button. And I'm not quite wiped yet, but, um, this, this, I guess, appeal battle that I have with, uh, Twitter is, is going to kind of see what, you know, you may, maybe shape what direction I go from here, but, um, the, 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 the thing that got me was a study I shared. I, I forget that who put it out. It was a medical journal, but it, it was comparing uh, the frailty of elderly and uh, climate change and whether or not we should be managing Earth's, uh, was it carbon and, and pension money into the decision on medical care for elderly. Um, and so I sarcastically, I kind of mocked it and I said, should we implement mandatory euthanasia at, um, age 65 to save on pensions and carbon 10 days later? That's, that's what got me. Yeah. Uh, well, like we, were, that's what- like we were saying before we hit record and the, the people that we're probably going to spend most of our time talking about, uh, from the world economic forum would probably like those useless eaters to, to fall off the face <laughs> of the earth. Um, exactly. And, and there's legitimacy to cool. that. Um, I, I mean, it goes far, it goes far back, far reaching. And, and I think, um, maybe that uh, out of anything we highlight in this, are you still there? Yep. Oh, okay. Out of anything we highlight in this, I, I want to think that maybe the origins of the world economic forum is probably, um, the most critical. And I, I I haven't seen anybody else that's been sharing a lot of this information um, and, and digging into the research behind it, but it's important to see that a lot of it comes from the Club of Rome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 1971 was the, uh, the, I guess, the start of the World Economic Forum. It was originally called the European Management Symposium. Well, uh, Klaus Schwab. Well, before we jump into before we jump into all of this, I think it's important to get the the backstory of what sent you down this path. So you're a retired Blackhawk uh, pilot from the army, and yeah. you essentially had somebody reach out to you and say, "Hey, can you dive into this particular data set and verify whether or not something is true?" And, and, and I think you can explain what what that prompt was, and and you're gonna correct that was what threw you down this rabbit hole, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's there's several pieces to that to unpack, but um, I think the first one is, is, I think it was a high school acquaintance that came to me and, and they were following this this Q, QAnon stuff and they came to me and said, hey, this, this, this flight log, it, it looks like 
somebody saying that the State Department was using uh, an aircraft that was on Epstein's ranch. Uh, can you help me make sense of this? And I thought, well, that should be easy to debunk. I was a pilot and um, I figured, well, I can probably just go check the NTSB website and, and look at a flight log. So I did. Um, the The court documented. So first, that's a felony to to falsify court documents. Second, it was an FAA document. So that's also a felony to falsify. Um, so I was like, okay, so I'm looking at the tail number. And then I cross-referenced with the NTSB website. The NTS website uh, shared this um, story about a, what is an OD-10. I, I forget the uh, the um, the actual aircraft, uh, Bronco something. It, but it was a, it's like a surveillance aircraft, and that was the tail number that he was referencing. And and so I looked at this and I thought, okay, well, it, it doesn't show this, but that is the tail number on the flight log, and it's under a Bell 206. Well, that was the aircraft that I learned how to fly on. And so I thought, that's a helicopter. Why was that on this Zorro Ranch? And the odds of them using a State Department tail number, uh, yes, they can get reassigned after an aircraft is decommissioned, which seems to be, have been the case with this, this Bronco, whatever aircraft, uh, State Department aircraft. Um, and I thought the odds of that being reassigned probably, you know, with this Epstein thing and on top of it, rumors at the time, they were just rumors with Clinton being on flight logs. I said, this is, this is like a one in a billion chance. There's something here. Um, so that, that's what set me down this path. Um, but I realized that there was a lot more to it, um, while I was in my executive MBA program and learning about, stock or excuse me, uh, shareholder capitalism versus um, Klaus Schwab's uh, stakeholder <laughs> capitalism. And so I went into the history on a lot of the two uh, where Epstein's Maxwell's uh, Robert Maxwell uh, brought me down to the origins of um, World Economic Forum um, and how these people's ideologies kind of play into the, the, the genesis of all of this. Yeah. And to be clear, uh, a friend who was interested in the QA non stuff sent you down this rabbit hole. But you, uh, I think before we hit record, we <laughs> you explained to me you don't believe the, the QA non oh, theory. Yeah. So, so I really haven't, I, I still don't have that pinpointed what it was. Uh, maybe Operation Trust, something like that, um, which, which was used, um, what is that? Was it was the Bolshevik? revolution they, they kind of um uh, got people to trust in a plan essentially mm -hmm. and 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 it uh um pacified their their resistance and and and, and so it um it maybe negated some of the power of any kind of resisting force against um what they were trying to do and you know some some claim that's what what this was i don't know but when you look at Q itself, the letter Q, um, that's a, a, a security clearance, uh, com compartmental security clearance. So I had a, I had a secret clearance. There's a um, secret and, and then there's a compartmental uh, like L and then there's top secret, which then further is you have Q. 
Q falls under the Department of Energy, which sent me down further rabbit holes with this um, um, Epstein and Maxwell stuff because um, there's a lot of science involved with that. And as you mentioned, you, you had Whitney Webb on here before. Um, Epstein's and Maxwell's both have a lot of uh, ties to not just uh, U.S. science and um, Harvard and MIT, but globally and very specifically to um, our administration and in several administrations. Um, you know, I found some stuff with uh, Clinton's PCAST. Uh, I forget the acronym right now, President Council Advisory Science Technology, maybe. And then the, the OSTP, which is your Office of Science Technology uh, Policy. Um, and this fourth industrial revolution stuff being pushed by Klaus Schwab, there's a lot of tie-ins there. Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, let's, uh, so I think that's a good base setting for your research path that you've been on. Like you mentioned before I interrupted you to, to set the base, you were saying this goes all the way back to 1971, which is a funny year considering this is a Bitcoin podcast and Bitcoiners are fascinated with the year 1971 because that was the year Nixon ripped us off officially completely off the gold standard and many bitcoiners would argue that is when uh, we became completely disconnected from reality from a monetary perspective and that has had negative externalities throughout society over the course of the last five plus decades since the 51 years now which is hard to think it's been that long but there, there's other things going on in that era, mainly, coincidentally enough, the Klaus Schwab at the age 33, I believe, starting the World Economic Forum. Yeah, and it's funny, um, you know, you mentioned Nixon, but then Kissinger is kind of one of the key roles in that um, gold standard and setting up the petrodollar with the Sauds. Um, Kissinger actually played a huge role with Epstein. Um, and I think that it's probably all the way back with Robert Maxwell as well. And that's the, the area I've really trying to, been trying to explore, but, um, Kissinger with, uh, was it, um, Google's, um, what's his name? Uh, Eric, Eric Schmidt, Schmidt. Uh, on, yeah. Trilateral commission. Um, they've had, they had Epstein on there for 12 years and, you know, I'm sorry people, but if you have Ivy League billionaires connected to all of these different things, at some point you have to ask yourself, okay, were they all just naive? Are they inept? I, I just don't buy that. And, you know, I, I've, I've put together extensive research on, on why I think that it's not ineptitude and it's actually malevolence. And, you know, Kissinger ties back to a lot of these things. And, you know, it's... Uh, Actually, just within you know the past week or so is kind of where I, I think I made the final tie-in on that. But it's a, a Fabian um, ideology. Are you, are you familiar with the Fabians versus the Marxists? Uh, I have uh, had Fabian uh, ideology versus Marxist ideology explained to me. But for anybody out there who okay. may be unaware, it's listening. Why don't we? Why don't we jump in? Yeah. So, it? so you know, Marxists. They believe in the revolution, uh, 
by like direct direct action, um, revolutions, uh, uprisings, um, probably what you can consider, you know, some of what the Black Lives Matter and Antifa type stuff was doing. Uh, whereas Fabian society uh, had more of a um, a subversive, uh, quiet and long term planning, um, injecting themselves into positions of power and authority, government and Im- infiltrating as opposed to direct, um, I guess, revolutions. That, so their intention was to to get people in, in roles and positions that could make these changes without people necessarily knowing what's happening. And I think that that's probably more where some of the Epstein and Maxwell stuff traces back. Um, the Club of Rome, so the Club of Rome, 19... 19- 68 was established and then they're more famous for the limits to growth study that they had reached out to MIT to commission in 71 or 72. Um, But that has kind of set us on this trajectory for uh, a lot of what the World Economic Forum is currently pushing. The World Economic Forum in in early 70s, and I'm I'm sorry with Twitter locking me out, I lost a lot of my, my notes to be able to get specifics together for this chat, but they brought the Club of Rome in in the early 70s to actually speak at the World Economic Forum. So the very founding of the World Economic Forum brought in the Club of Rome. And Maurice Strong, who was later the Undersecretary General for the UN, was part of the founding of the World Economic Forum. Maurice Strong was a Club of Rome guy. So... Before we go any further, what, can we describe the Club of Rome? Like, what, what's its, why was it created? <clears throat> Who was a part of it? What's their intention for being? So, there, there's, you know, there's documentation that says it's a Rockefeller um, organization. I haven't found direct funding on Rockefeller being um, the 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 backer of it. There is, you know, maybe if you look through some, you know, like like trusts and filtering money, you can make that argument. I don't know. I don't think it's necessary to argue that. Um, more so that you can look at some of the people that are involved and you can grasp their ideologies and, and compare it to what Club of Rome states. But they, you can look at like Al Gore, Bill Clinton, Gorbachev, Bill Gates, Ted Turner, uh, all of these people are Club of Rome. Um, and I think one of the triggering things that got me into diving into this was I found a video of Ted Turner saying climate change is a symptom of overpopulation. Too many people using too much stuff. And it made me start looking into it. <laughs> Why is he saying that? Well, um, Dennis... Um, Miller, I think it was, I, I, I forget his name, but he was one of the authors of The Limits to Growth. And Limits to Growth, in simple form, looked at earth finite resources, um, oil, energy is kind of what I boil it down to, versus overpopulation. And they, they had projected at some point there was going to be a, a, a calamitous uh, action ending or, you know, humanity ending event where the finite resources would be used up and people would turn into death, destruction, cannibalism, and, and 
chaos. And so they felt it was incumbent upon them to bring about change to manage this over time uh, as opposed to letting it get to that point. And I think that's where a lot of the centrally planning uh, of the World Economic Forum with inclusive capitalism, stakeholder capitalism, uh, the fourth industrial revolution, what their intent is, is to manage all inputs and outputs and resources of the global economy in their hands to make sure that this this event doesn't occur. Yeah. So around this time, too, it was the meme of peak oil came to be. Obviously, climate change has been a, a big narrative and a beer, a big sort of topic that is used to to scare people into to using less resources and it, it does seem to to become very popular around that that point in time all these um, power players if you will uh, seem to be either eugenicist or malthusians they they think that humans are bad and that and that we need to reduce the population to to ensure that the earth survives um and regardless of those ideas, peak oil hasn't happened yet. We're still pulling oil out of the ground in massive quantities and demand continues to rise. And we're still finding it. And same with natural gas. Um, we, we have the ability to harness nuclear in better ways than we ever have throughout human history. And, and along the last 50 years as well, we've obviously had a population explosion into uh, around 8 billion people. And it seems that these people had these thesis 50 years ago uh, and they're, they're clinging to it despite the fact that uh, their thesis has been proven to be pretty wrong throughout the way. And, and now yeah, and it's actually, you know, when you said that about nuclear, it triggered another thought. Uh, one of the authors, John Holdren um, of limits of growth actually was on the CFIUS committee for um, the signing off of uranium one. So if you think about nuclear as a solution for this, why aren't we using nuclear um, power for, for so many of these things? And I, I think that was kind of one of the eye openers for me because I invested in uranium for quite some time and gotten kicked in the face and beaten for it. But um, and now it's finally taken off. But, but yeah, I, I thought that was a, a contradictory um, action because if you believe in, in nuclear power as, you know, hey, this can solve a lot of our environmental issues, our limits on resources, um, here's the way to unleash a lot of energy, um, nuclear would be the way to go. So why would you sign off on that deal? Yeah. And, and here in the United States specifically, we've put together this nuclear regulatory body that hasn't allowed or okay, the construction of a new reactor in, in decades. We've seen the mass decommissioning of nuclear power generation in, in Europe and countries like Germany. France was starting down the path, but has decided to revert as it becomes clear that Germany doing it has led to disastrous results in terms of unreliable electricity production and the electricity that is being produced is extremely expensive. And then... And it, it is odd considering the the ability we have today as humans to harness this stuff that, that we just don't do it. Like, are these people really worried about the planets and, and resources or 
are they they control freaks um, over the the useless eaters as uh, I forget who exactly I think maybe it was George Horace who referred to the masses as useless eaters. The uh, there's a quote by the the Fabian Society that um, I, I think it's it's one of their um, like a motto or a logo or something. But it said, dear love, couldst thou and I with fate conspire to grasp this sorry scheme of things entire? Would we not shatter it to bits and then remold it to the heart's desire? And so it's funny, I shared on Twitter um, the movie Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. I, I shared a clip on here and I, you know, I kind of tried to explain creative destruction. And uh, I think that is the intent of this virus, um, whether it was planned or not, it's being utilized as that. And we can get into my thoughts on that, but uh, it's being exploited as if it was um, a deliberate part of their plans. And this, uh, this, this clip of that evil Zorg guy knocks a glass of water off his desk and then all the little robots come out and clean it up. And he's making the argument of, you know, see, I've, I've created economic activity um, by forcing this class off. So we're in the same business. We, we, we still care about progress and, and advancing the world. And when I looked at that, um, I was trying to help convey to people, like, have you ever considered that some of the people that are running our country or the world and some of the actions that they've taken that maybe weren't uh, ineptitude? Um and I think the, the whole Epstein rabbit hole has gone, uh, it's got me to the point to where I don't know how you look at all of these associations and, and still think that this is all driven by ineptitude. Um, an example, you know, one of them, you know, Larry Summers, nobody seems to hammer this guy. Right. He was the president of Harvard. He was the Treasury Secretary for the Clinton admin. He was the uh, economic advisor for Obama, yet he gave Epstein an office at Harvard. He gave him access to their evolutionary dynamics program, the mind, brain, and behavior program. And he was on these flight logs. And this, when I say these people are on these flight logs, this isn't, um, I didn't just find a list you know, that somebody made up and threw a bunch of names on. I actually sifted through the court documents. I looked at the actual flight logs. So as I'm stating earlier, the, the that means they were submitted to court and they were done by a pilot, signed off. I mean, that's multiple felonies if if that's falsified. And then on top of it, to my knowledge, nobody and none of the people that are on these logs have gone and tried to refute these logs. So when I see Larry Summers on there, I have to revisit some of the actions he took um, while he was Treasury Secretary. Um, You have to look at the World Trade Organization in China. You have to look at the the repeal of the Glass-Steagall. Yes, I was Uh, just about to mention that one. In, in how that triggered a lot, you know, or at least played a big role in in the 
the financial crisis. And then, you know, since then, you know, monetary policy, we've, I mean, the Fed has essentially, um, you know, injected so much liquidity. We had TARP, we had QE, we had the bailouts. Um, and now fast forward, it's hard to argue that these actions by the Fed didn't contribute to BlackRock essentially owning the world um, and having the ability to influence, um, I don't even want to call it politics, but influence uh, the way we're governed through you know, the ESG system. Um, and just recently, I, I, I highlighted, the, before I was you know, booted from Twitter, I highlighted the, most people in the finance world understand FASB rules, accounting rules. Well, now they're coming out with SASB, and this is what they're promoting, sustainability accounting standards boards. And these are the, the, the reporting that they're going to want you know, accounts to, to forward, to be able to use for metrics, for ESG. And this is what we're going to be governed by. And I, I think people are failing to grasp the significance of you didn't vote for the people that are implementing ESG. You're, you didn't vote for Larry Fink. You didn't vote for the decisions that they're making. And one of the big alarms that I had was in my executive MBA program, we had a diversity and inclusion, what is it, diversity, equity, inclusion uh, ambassador come to our class and tell us um, about climate change. And she cackled, uh, stating that, well, we ousted somebody from JP Morgan uh, Board of Directors because he wasn't on board with climate change. And she said, so stakeholders matter, investors matter, and now uh, it's shifting where, where we have BlackRock with, you know, $8 trillion or $9 trillion at the time, she was saying, under management. If BlackRock wants you to be on board with climate change, you're going to, or we're going to vote you off the board, or we're going to strip you of your capital. And so a CEO hears that, and he's left without, uh, you know, a lot of options on what he's going to do. Yeah, it's... Uh... ESG is a, a big topic here at this podcast. And Carlos, say on the split view, uh, the I mean, ESG infuriates me. I, I scream about it on this podcast on Twitter because it's being run by a bunch of hypocrites. Larry Fink being one of them, he'll travel the world on a private jet and and try to pontificate about how we need to reduce our carbon footprint. I am, and this is controversial, and people get angry about at me for this, but I don't think there is a climate crisis. I don't think using fossil fuels is necessarily bad. I actually think it's an incredibly good thing. I don't think we should be transitioning to unreliable uh, energy generation sources like solar and wind. Uh, I, I do think the ESG narrative and its social credit scoring system is a tool of control, not really a tool to make the world a better place. Yeah, and, and, and so if we, if we look back to where um, some of that, I guess the bigger ESG movement. Um, so I was a financial planner at, with Northwestern Mutual Financial Network, you know, straight out of, out of college. I did an internship through there. And I remember some of the, one of the CFAs um, talking about ESG, and it was kind of just starting at that point. And he was, 
I mean, the advisors in the room were laughing at it. They were mocking the, the absurdity. Why would why are why are investors going to care anything about you know the bottom line, you know, profit? And this isn't going to take off. This isn't going to go anywhere. Well, you know, who's laughing now? But the the reason why ESG, if you look at Lynn Rothschild, uh, who has been pushing inclusive capitalism. And the World Economic Forum has adopted this as part of their their agenda. Um, Lynn Rothschild actually, uh, part of why she had designed this inclusive capitalism, which you know I think she you know the major rollout was probably around 2012, but her justification for it was the Occupy Wall Street, the Tea Party movements rising populism after the great financial crisis, uh, in, in her, in her words, how capitalism has failed, um, has created this, uh, animosity towards the system and we, it, it's unfair. So, so essentially what she did was created the means to, uh, feed these people, uh, identity politics, um, Black Lives Matter, if you look at the Google trends starting in that time frame, that's when it really took off. Um, the uh, LGBTQ, um, a lot of these things were triggered as a way to divert some of that populism, uh, particularly on the left. They captured the entire Occupy Wall Street crew and and and, and pushed them down this pathway of um diversity and inclusion. Uh, yeah. Don't look at the banks. Don't look at the, the banks that just caused the, the great financial crisis. Don't dig in there. You'll probably find stuff that, that we don't want you to find. It's uh right. let's, let's increase the number of times racism is mentioned in the newspapers and uh, diversity politics is, is brought up in, in mainstream media. I mean, there's those famous charts of like the words going up and people will be like, well, no, just people started caring more. It's like, no. They yeah. Just, yeah. No, <laughs> it's not because they cared. It's because the corporate, uh, well, and really behind the corporate world, the bankers had decided we're going to go ahead and we're going to divert uh, people's attention this way. And so when Nike rolls out uh, BLM and, um, you know, Call of Duty, this was a big trigger for me. I used to occasionally, when I got done flying, you know, like a night flight with goggles on, I'd get home and I would unwind by playing Call of Duty. Well, then they started putting BLM in Call of Duty. And I thought, what in the hell? How is this? This is this is the subliminal. I'm trying to play video games. What are you doing to me? Yeah. So I actually quit playing video games ever. Um, but I saw what they were trying to do, and, and, and it's it's kind of a form of psychological warfare. I think it's neural linguistic programming or nudging is probably more the common term. But um, you know, subliminally planning this stuff in everything in our lives and nudging people in these directions. So the problem is that this is now being used at their level to drum up, a, a, you know, uh, what's his name? Division. Uh, it's pure division. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and right, the, the, the physician that just got uh, kind of banned from Twitter, Malone. Malone. So Malone brings up mass formation psychosis. And I try to explain to people, you know, if you look uh, back to um, 
Gustav Laban with the 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 he wrote the book the crowd uh, uh, was it a, a popular mind a study of the popular mind basically you know that's where you know I started to try and tell people about this hey look at look at the psychology of a crowd um, it's they're looking for somebody to direct them and the crowd as a whole isn't it's not a compilation of a bunch of intelligent in, individuals it kind of takes its own mind. And it looks to this leader, uh, despot, uh, like, for example, the World Economic Forum, to drive this. And the World Economic Forum had um, both this uh, CRT, uh, Kendi Ibram guy as a young global leader, and um, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Alicia Garza. She was a young global leader. And, and so at some point, people need to ask themselves, uh, if I'm supporting these causes, is it because it's an organic movement that is truly meant to help rectify whatever um, problems we have in our, you know, socioeconomic problems that we have, or is it actually something that has, has been in place upon us to care about and are we being manipulated? Um, yeah. And I mean, again, it's very nefarious. It's very evil. It's very effective. But yeah. Like something BLM, let's stand for Black Lives Matter. Like, of course, Black Lives Matter. And I, and I think we've said it many times on this podcast and it's been said elsewhere as, as well. You have to separate BLM Inc. from the phrase Black Lives yeah. Matter. And that's where people get inherently triggered because they take the latter, the, the phrase, which is obviously true. And when people try to denigrate BLM Inc., the organization that has ties to the World Economic Forum and the Young Global Leaders Program, uh, they associate people trying to call out that organization as something that's probably nefarious and has bad intentions uh, and, and, and just paint people as racist for not supporting them. Yeah. And, and so what, what do you conclude? How do you conclude some of the motives behind these people? So, it's my in my mind, and I think you probably agree with its decentralized, uh, you know, Bitcoin community ideology that you know, humans uh, are inherently fallible, and it doesn't matter who gets into power. At some point, if it can be, if they can be corrupted, they will be. It's inevitable, and I traced back. How did Epstein get into the White House? Um, I think it was like 17 times he was at the White House. Uh, how did Clinton end up on his you know, 27 flights? And Lynn Rothschild was the one that introduced Epstein to Clinton. Lynn Rothschild had her honeymoon in the White House. Lynn Rothschild was introduced to her husband, Evelyn, through Kissinger. Kissinger mentored Klaus Schwab at Harvard. Klaus Schwab's other mentor, um, again, also a founder of the World Economic Forum, was Maurice Strong. Maurice Strong was the uh, chairman of the 1992 Real Earth Summit. Well, the 1992 Real Earth Summit is when Agenda 21 was announced. I thought this was all a conspiracy theory forever. I, I never really actually looked into what Agenda 21 was. I, I, everybody that ever mentioned it was a clown to me. It's 
Nancy Pelosi announced it on the floor of Congress in 1992 following the Real Earth Summit. So in an attempt to, I don't want to say shield ourselves, but protect ourselves in this particular conversation from people listening to it and being like, you guys are conspiracy theorists. What, and which again, that term in and of itself is a, a yeah, weaponized mechanism to, to make people seem crazy off the bat when it is pretty obvious that Dave Collins says this on this podcast all the time and outside of this podcast. Like if you don't believe that men and women of power conspire to do things and you are an idiot. Um, conspiracy yeah. theories are real. Uh, but uh, to to be as ironclad as possible, what is your your research? Like how, how are you finding this data? What are the sources that you're using? And and how are you coming to these conclusions? What What is the, the information that you're using? Yeah, try to unpack any time because I've been immersed in this for so long. Um, and I do share the you know receipts on Twitter. Um, but again, I'm locked out. So that that makes it difficult for me. But I go to tax documents are probably my biggest one. Um, you know, you can go to GuideStar, you can look at the Form 990s, and, and that's very telling. Um, the Lynn Rothschild um, introduction to Clinton, well, you can look at the 1995 letter um, that she wrote to the Clinton admin that said, thank you for your time. I, I forget all what it says, but it's, um, I wanted to use my 15 minutes um, with you, Bill Clinton, to talk about currency markets and, uh, you know, with Jeffrey Epstein. And, and so, yeah, you can look at the pictures, you can look at the, the recent articles that showed how many times he actually was on the White House visitor log. Um, so it's, so it's, it's impossible to say, okay, well, these connections aren't there. And it's impossible when you see Alan Dershowitz said, um, He's on video stating that uh, Lynn Rothschild is who introduced him to Jeffrey Epstein. And then Prince Andrew uh, was introduced through Lynn Rothschild as well. And I can't remember offhand where I had found that. But the there is a theme here. And, and if you go to the flight logs, Lynn Forrester was her main maiden name, but she was on Epstein's flight logs. Then you go further and you look into Lynn Rothschild being on the board of the McCain Institute. And the McCain Institute has a human trafficking arm. And, and so if they're against human trafficking, yet they still have Lynn Rothschild on their advisory board, how do you how do you not see this as a problem? And there's a video, Rudy Havenstein on Twitter, I love that guy. Um, he, he shared, the, you know, this video of Cindy McCain uh, saying, we all knew who Epstein was. We knew what he was up to. Nobody would do anything about it. Your husband is the, the chair of the Armed Forces Service Committee. How, how does he not do anything? And on top of it, you have a human trafficking arm in your institute. This is insanity. Well, the McCain Institute is also paired with ASU, which is where I got my grad degree. And ASU, um, this is where things kind of get even more crazy. Um, ASU chairman um, Michael Crow 
is, or President Michael Crow is chairman of InQtel. Well, InQtel is the CIA venture capitalist arm. Hmm. So the McCain Institute is tied with ASU and In QTEL, um, when, when I say kind of a venture capitalist arm, uh, they, they, they used universities to kind of funnel research into the CIA. And so I looked at this and I thought, this is insane. Again, a lot of me was figuring this out while I was in my grad program. At the same time, I was, I was just starting to dive into this Epstein stuff. And I had a, a business project I was working on um, that kind of conflicts with some of what the World Economic Forum is, is pushing. But I wrote to President Michael Crow of ASU and I said, hey, this virus looks to be a big deal. Um, why are we not doing anything about it? There's, there's five people with this in the country and ASU had one of the first five cases. What, what measures are you taking? This is insane. And I mean, I had at this point, I already pulled everything out of the market. Well, actually, I, I put it all in TLT, um, which worked well for me. But uh, the <laughs> I wrote this letter and I just thought, you know, this is going to be hugely impactful on supply chains. Uh, you know, but but I even wrote other stuff that's probably irrelevant, but it was my thoughts in analyzing this. And, like, you know, why is it we've shifted so much of our not shifted, but forfeited our autarky as a country? When, when, which later played out with the, the lack of domestic uh, mask manufacturing, which I worked with a couple of classmates to try to uh, procure financing for uh, domestic N95 production. At this time, I, I, I still thought, hey, this is, this is, um, this is going to be a big deal because I was concerned it was biowarfare. Um, and I thought it was a nation versus nation attack. I thought it was... Um, China behind it, um, the Chinese Communist Party. And I had, I had watched China uh, quite a bit because I thought that's where the next financial crisis was going to come from. A lot of my worldview has changed since then. Um, <laughs> Same. And, I, I was in a very similar mindset as well. Okay. Yeah. And so I wrote this letter and I, I got kind of a cheap, generic thank you. Um, and that was it. And... I had talked to the the head of my program about it, and he said, "Where are you getting your intel?" With a the most dead serious question ever, and I thought, I just thought it was odd that he asked me that. But I think um, you know, at the time, uh, you know, there's five physicians in the program, um, so as an executive MBA with a healthcare emphasis, and, and the physicians were all like, "Get your flu shot. You're you're a lunatic." Well, later in the program, I became the class oracle um, because I, I was able to, you know, project all this. Um, but now I'm the conspiracy theorist again, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> <Full circle. laughs> yeah. So when I saw, you know, Trump had given this this speech at the UN or Davos, uh, I think it was Davos, but he, he essentially said, it, "It's my my pin tweet on Twitter." Um, it starts off the thread of kind of where my my thinking had progressed on what is actually happening. But it was uh, something along the lines of the future does not belong to globalists. It belongs to 
uh, individual and, and free nations who cherish their country and cherish their people. And the speech, and this isn't a red versus blue thing. It's a, it was kind of, wait a minute. I, I think that, I think it was an epiphany I had that this is really kind of a globalist versus a, a nationalist um, type of battle. And, and I think that's when I had the, it registered that, hey, this, this virus is biowarfare, but it was an attack, not on nation versus nation, but on the concept of nations altogether. Um, and so going down, well, who would be behind this? And I think, um, you know, that's where the Epstein ties into the science, into capitalism, into the bankers, into uh, the Clinton admins, um, you know, science department. And I should probably say that, you know, so my most recent tweet before I was uh, booted, um, I was tying Bile Maru, and and forgive me if I don't pronounce a lot of these things properly because I have no idea. Um, Bile Maru and the Clinton Clinton Health Initiative signed an agreement in 2004, January. Why is that relevant? So... Elaine Maru was one of the big funders behind the Wuhan lab. Prior to going to uh, Moderna, Stephane, again, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Bansel uh, had worked for BioMaru. So the, the timeline on this and, and, and why I thought well, this is particularly interesting is Jeffrey Epstein, this is uh, Alan Dershowitz claimed this in a court document. Jeffrey Epstein co-founded the Clinton Foundation. After that, in 2000, Bill Clinton announced that they had discovered the God gene, I think it is how he described it. Um, I actually kept this in front of me just so I could try and say exactly what he said. Today, we are learning the language in which God created life. It will revolutionize the diagnosis, prevention, and treatment of most, if not all, human diseases. They called it the most important, most wondrous map ever produced by humankind. And so that was in 2000. Well, 2003, November, Clinton, Epstein, Ira Magaziner, which was the manager for the Clinton Health Initiative, all flew to Beijing. Two months, not even full two months, I think it was six weeks later, is when the Biomaru and the Clinton Foundation signed an agreement, a partnership, and it had an emphasis on HIV. Fast forward to 2007, that's when Stephen Bansell was brought on board to Biomaru. He then left for Moderna in like 2011 timeframe. At Moderna, 2011, 2012 timeframe is when DARPA 
started funding Moderna. 2016, there's an article through STAT that said that Moderna has, has, through this kind of secret research, has come up with the ability for mRNA to cure any disease. And it would take multiple injections over multiple years to transform these proteins to solve these diseases. And it could be applied to any disease. And so fast forward to now, well, this Elaine Maru guy had funded the Wuhan lab. Bansell worked for him. And again, you tie that back to, you know, is it related? Maybe not, but it's highly suspicious how much the Clinton Foundation, the Gates Foundation were intertwined. And now you trace this. So I think it's something people need to be aware of and they need to, to look further into it. But I think the, when you look at people, for example, at Harvard, George Church being a big one, who was behind the Human Genome Project, he was also behind 23andMe, and he was involved with Epstein at Harvard. You have to wonder, what is the morality behind these people? What, what kind of, how, what, what parameters were they working within? If, if you have DARPA scientists involved with Epstein, who's behind all of this? How could they be, be incentivized? Go ahead. No, no. You can't, oh. I mean, it's just like, what are the chances that all these people are intermingled and are touching so many pivotal parts of this COVID equation? Like Wuhan lab, Moderna. I mean, and Moderna too, like Whitney's come on here, like Moderna was just like a shell company essentially that wasn't really producing anything. It's in a voila, like showed up and COVID saved its business as it, as it produced this mRNA vaccine. Yeah. And, and so I also looked at, okay, what, what could Epstein have been in there's a lot of emphasis from, you know, the, the media will touch on the human trafficking piece, the pedophilia piece, probably less so on the human trafficking piece. It's more on the, the, the pedophilia piece. But they somehow leave out that the, these people were trafficked to somebody. They somehow leave out all of the science and um, national security. Uh, that's enough. That's a that was a big eye opener for me. Sandy Berger, 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 however you pronounce his name, uh, was Clinton's national security advisor. He was on Epstein's flight logs. So if you think the national, the NSA, you know, Snowden, and you think of how much they are, they have access to every piece of data about you and everything. If you think Clinton's NSA advisor was on Epstein's plane, 
you have to think everything in our government, everything in our institution after that could potentially be compromised. Because even an election, how is it, how can you not consider that these things are manipulated now that you know this connection was made? And so, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's almost too grand of a, a scale for people to believe it. Like, no, it can't be true. Like, the government can't be fully entrenched with these types of people working against us. They're supposed to be our friend. Yeah, well, I don't... And that's something I would like to emphasize is... So I'm fit, roughly fifth generation military. Um, I really took the, the oath to the Constitution thing seriously. Uh, if I were to align myself with somebody politically, it might be Ron Paul or Thomas Massey. I, I don't, I don't really jump hard into, into herds of one sort or another, but I think that the, the wars that we're involved in are, are against what our founders intended. If, if you look back to like the late 1700s, I'm sure you're aware the, that, they were resistant to a central banking system. Mm -hmm. Well, they were also resistant to a standing federal army. And the two go together. When you understand that wars are not generally won by, you know, some people will say, you know, who has the greater finances, but it's, it's really who can amass the resources in a, the more efficient manner because a small nation or a small, I guess, entity could, could win against a greater entity if they're just, if they have better utilization of their resources, their logistics, their assets against the other one. And so banking and wars go hand in hand. And I mean, you can look at, you know, Britain, and you can look at, um, they, uh, let's, at least from what I recall, that's kind of where the, the uh, perpetual annuities came from, is their um, funding of the war, because they, they wanted to be able to uh, sell this, um, I guess you can call it this, this stream of income to somebody for an investment, um, for a rate of return, their interest on it, but they didn't want to have to pay off the debt. And, and so when you look back to that, and now you compare it to our government and you compare it to even our corporations, when um, you know a lot of the current returns in the market are based on the ability to leverage debt and if, uh, interest rates declining, that allows you to lever up more. Well, it's the same thing with our government. Um, our, our debt to GDP ratio it kind of depends on uh, our government's ability to um, continually take out debt. And sure, I think that can can work until it doesn't. And <laughs> that was my uh, in my letter to Michael Crow. It was uh, I addressed the, the topic of autarky because at some point in time, if we ever lose world reserve currency, We've now given up our manufacturing base to China. And it was evident when we couldn't make masks or ventilators um, that this is going to trickle into everything. 
So if the World Economic Forum, the IMF, um, if their direction they decide to go is, is changing that to maybe a, um, a neutral reserve currency, uh, that's really going to screw the U.S. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, but I do think that there's the potential that the CBDC that they intend on going with is more of a supranational type of uh, direction as opposed to uh, a nation holding world reserve currency. Yeah, the CBDC world is a very morbid and depressing future to think about and something that we should avoid at all costs. And for any of you freaks at home are wondering what the hell is autarky? Autarky is basically just when you focus on making sure that you can make as many goods as possible within within your own borders, correct? Yeah, essentially being self-sustaining. Yeah, self-sustaining. And obviously the lockdowns and the supply chain crunch that happened globally really acutely highlighted that that we are not self-sustaining. And it, it seems like, again, going, it seems like the intention is to make us less and less self-reliant. So I like to focus on energy. It's been a, a main focus of mine for many years now because it truly infuriates me that we have the incredible potential to be energy independent here in the United States. And you could argue at, at, at one point, beginning of Trump's presidency, we were energy independent with the, uh, the, the ability to pull um, oil and gas out of the ground via the shale revolution here in the United States. And we have completely been shooting ourselves in the foot time and time again and making ourselves less energy dependent and more dependent on uh, oil from uh, South America or coal from China or whatever it may be. Yeah, actually, that that's kind of more um, when people claim that Trump is entirely involved in this. I, I, I don't I don't hold strong feelings one way or another, but I, as an objective analysis, trying to figure out, well, is he or is he not? I don't, I don't know. But I will say that his domestic energy uh, production and his pulling from the uh, Paris Climate Accords were two uh, integral, um, I guess, um, methods of fighting back to whatever this World Economic Forum and Great Reset agendas push, because without uh, without relying on other nations for oil and energy, uh, and without the Paris Accords, a lot of this ESG stuff falls apart. And so was he in on it? Was it te- technically or um, did, did he did, you know, was it all staged? I don't know. I try not to get into that, but I, I don't find it fruitful to argue whether or not uh, Trump is a good guy or a bad guy. I, I think all politicians, I think all people in power um, have the potential to be corrupted. I think he's got some some of his own history with uh, Epstein that that the public needs to know and, and hash out. Um, and, and what, to what extent, you know, I don't even know yet. Yeah. That's really like yeah, thinking objectively, like I really liked his energy policy. Uh, I like to get tough on China because I do think we need to become less reliant on all of our shit here in the United States being imported from, uh, China mostly. And I really like the fact that he brought a, like worked with TSMC to bring a chip foundry to Arizona where you are now. 
And because I think, again, that's another very centralized part of the global supply chain and computers obviously have become extremely important in our modern society and they will become more important moving forward. And, but then like also objectively started Operation Warp Speed, which led us to this, this hastily rolled out vaccine, vaccine um, uh, operation, whatever you want to call it, that, that seems to be going <laughs> pretty badly awry. Uh, depending on who you talk to, I mean, if you look into it, it doesn't seem to be working quite well uh, and could potentially have some adverse effects. But yeah, it, it, objectively, like there there were some good things, there were some bad things. But like you said, like don't get bogged down whether or not he was a good or bad individual. I think we should focus on the incentives of the system that these people are working within. Yes. And, and that was another thing that was evident to me in, in this executive image program was the, we had, a, we had multiple executives come in and talk and, you know, one of them I could tell was his, his heart was probably more towards a, a, a patriotic, um, you know, American and he was stating, well, I don't really have a choice um, to be, you know, in order to stay competitive, I, I, I need to use China. And I just said, you know, that's where people need to look back at the incentive structures that were set up to force these things. And and so we go back to Clinton admin. Uh, we go back to um, Kissinger, uh, Nixon and setting up the World Trade Organization, the most favored nation status. Um, and, you know, we were sold on this. Uh, we're going to bring um, democracy to China, but instead we're importing their totalitarianism. And you get people like Larry Fink of BlackRock, who is saying markets prefer totalitarianism. Right. They, markets are, our democracy is messy. And yeah, Ray Dalio coming out and saying we should, we should bring China's uh, prosperity for all theme to it to the United States as well. It's where the all these billionaires yeah, and, are. And, and Gates is another one. So one of the uh, things that made me kind of shift my view was uh, I, I'm being, I don't want to say anti-China, but concerned about China was uh, more so looking at a lot of the executives um, in our country. And, and so if you look at the board of Xi's alma mater, Tsinghua University, uh, the majority of our biggest corporation uh, in banking executives are on the board of his alma mater. And, okay, well, that's just relations. We're, you know, we're trying to, you know, no. At, at some point, people need to realize if you look at the incentives, you look at the, the outcomes, you, you, you have to consider that they don't actually have any loyalty to our nation. They don't actually have any loyalty to human rights, individual liberty. When, when you realize we went to war in the Middle East for trillions of dollars while we left the Uyghur situation alone, and I say we as in the West establishment, you realize that it wasn't about human rights. It wasn't about creating democracy and a better world. It was about other things. And so what is the big driver in the Middle East? Well, I, I, I think 
if you still think it was um, 3,000 lives in the Twin Towers uh, was the reason we needed to blow up the Middle East and build it, you know, nation build with all the infrastructure, um, I, I think you need to pull your head out of the sand um, because trillions of dollars didn't bring us anything. And if you look back to kind of what I said earlier in the conversation, go ahead. It did bring us something. I mean, it brought us uh, less civil liberties. We have the TSA now. We have dragnet surveillance. We have we have all exactly. these great things. We have all these incredible things. And I, I like, um, if you look at that, okay, well, that brought us that. And you look at, oh, that was another one that I looked at recently. Uh, the 9-11 Commission. George Bush tried to appoint Kissinger. <laughs> And George Mitchell, both of these people, direct involvement with Epstein. And I, I just, I thought this is this is crazy. And so when you start looking at all of these these flight logs, and you look at these events that occurred that you think were just random occurrences that somehow stripped us of civil liberties individual and national sovereignty, you have to, like I said, you have to look at, okay, well, they're hanging out and associated with nefarious people. And somehow their mistakes keep working in the establishment's favor. It just doesn't add up. And, you know, that's why I said I tried to chase, trace back um, through the generations. If you look, you know, so you have Isabel Maxwell, Ghislaine's sister, who's on the you know technology pioneer for the World Economic Forum. You have Ghislaine Maxwell, who had this Terra Mar uh, program or project. Uh, well, one of the guys on that, uh, Larry Cobbin, who was in Obama's uh, Department of Homeland Security, uh, was one of the founders of this project. How the hell does that happen? And he apparently, he's a Harvard attorney. He's the director of NRG uh, Corporation. Is uh, is into um, uh, archaeology and, and climate change. And, and you look at so many of these UN SDG type of uh, policies and buzzwords, and you, and you start tracing these ties. Well, that Terramar project saved the oceans. I mean, it just, Amir Dossal, he was on her Terramar project. Well, wasn't Terramar, wasn't like something like you become like a, a become digital a, a citizen, citizen? Yeah, a citizen of this. Citizen. Yeah. Yes. And so when you look at that too, you know, so now we're pushing this digital ID thing with the, the Vax ID, which is pushed through the World Health Organization. So that'll be a global digital passport. Well, she was kind of doing something similar with her ocean project, digital global citizen. Um, and so she, she had Amir Dossal on this board. Well, Amir Dossal was, he has his own uh, nonprofit called the Global Partnerships Forum. Well, the UN uses an, Amir Dossal to manage some of the COVID technology program stuff. Amir Dasso also was the guy that managed Ted Turner's billion dollar donation to the UN. So 
When I see that, I think, okay, maybe these are coincidences. Well, then I also see that Amir Dasso was on the board of the Humpty Dumpty Institute with about 40 Democrats and Mark Epstein, Jeffrey's brother, was also on this board. So this guy is tied to both Jeffrey Epstein's brother and tied to Ghislaine's Terramar, and he's one of the high up guys at the UN. So this is again, kind of what started me down the path of, okay, well, there's a lot of UN involvement with the Epstein's and Maxwell stuff. And then I figured out that there's a lot of fourth industrial revolution tech with Jeffrey's in, uh, um, interest in transhumanism, eugenics, um, Malthusianism, and uh, artificial intelligence. And so you go through Klaus Schwab's fourth industrial revolution book and his entire agenda with it. Epstein was involved with all that shit. So, Again, you know, is it just coincidence? I don't think so. Well, my impression, um, based on looking at a lot of the stuff that, you know, Epstein did, um, there was a 2012 uh, doomsday conference that he held on his island. And I share this link a lot, and, and it, it's underappreciated, in my view, on, on what it represents. But he had this doomsday conference with all these scientists, a lot of them DARPA. Well, their agenda had, had, had said, well, what are the threats to humanity? Uh, you know, nanotechnology, global warming, climate change, and in these different things, overpopulation was one of them. And so when you realize, again, the virus, the lab, the ties with the Clinton Foundation, the science, uh, energy, limits to growth, Club of Rome, UN, all these agendas in, in these NGOs, when you start tying them together, it almost looks like the entire Maxwell and Epstein operation were like a Manhattan project that was set up with the virus as opposed to, uh, and, and it was uh, the globalist versus humanity, essentially, as opposed to um, the actual Manhattan Project, which was the the chase with scientists for the uh, atomic bomb. And that was a nation versus nation agenda. Um, and when you look at Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine's dad, being heavily involved with science uh, literature, Pergamon Press and Macmillan Publishing, you realize a lot of his uh, wealth had come from recruiting scientists to publish in his uh, organization. And well, it occurred to me while I was in this uh, grad program that if you really want to own scientists or own science, you just need to own the science literature because that's what they all defer to. They look to the studies. They trust the studies. And, and most physicians, scientists, I, I, you know, I don't, these are good-hearted people. But they're not going to listen to you if, if their medical journal they're reading from tells them that everything is great. And so seeing the ties that, again, Epstein, Maxwell's, all of the Maxwell's, because it was Ghislaine, Isabel, uh, Robert, 
they all had ties to this. And then they all have ties to science within the Clinton administration. And, and there's probably more, but that's where I honed in on the most because that was some of the biggest triggers for me. So that's where I found the hard documentation of, okay, the, the Clinton Foundation started, the flight logs with Clinton, the, um, the science departments within his admin, having these people involved, um, and then the UN. And so, but it goes back even further. I mean, you know, I, I found images of, of Bush with, uh, or Bush Sr. with Robert Maxwell. Well, there's an FBI document that shows that they knew Robert Maxwell was a spy before that. So why would Bush Sr. have him in the White House? Doesn't make any sense. And go ahead. No, I got you. You finish. I've got. I've got some thoughts there. Uh, so, when I started to realize that Gorbachev and Robert Maxwell had a hundred million dollar joint science investment, it made me think that okay, so Maxwell owns this scientific literature and can, can really change the trajectory of science. You look at Kissinger's involvement. So Gorbachev had helped draft the Earth Charter for the real uh, Earth Summit. Gorbachev and Maurice Strong were hand, worked hand in hand. So you have Maurice Strong, Gorbachev, and Kissinger all working together. Well, Kissinger also drafted several overpopulation reports for our government. Um, they, and, I, and I meant to look this up beforehand, but it, I think it was the NSM 2000 or 200, and then there's like a Hag Kissinger report. People need to look this stuff up. I mean, it's I've shared it on Twitter. So um, they actually consider it as a national security issue. So again, tying back to NSA, we had three NSA advisors that were involved with Epstein or Maxwell. The most current one, Anthony Blinken, his stepdad, Sam Pizer, was in Epstein's black book, and he was Robert Maxwell's attorney, a current Secretary of State who was previously an NSA advisor, directly involved with Robert Maxwell supposedly the last person to see him alive. That's mind-blowing to me. What are, what are the odds of all of these things, these connections, just randomly occurring? And, and these people are, aren't aware of what Maxwell's or Epstein was up to. I, 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 I don't buy any of that. No, especially when you consider, I mean, we'll talk about Larry Summers and Bill Gates specifically. I mean, there's that that picture that goes around on Twitter, all the notorious picture now of those three, or Bill Gates, Larry Summers, Epstein, and a, a couple others, I believe, standing. Boris Nikolic, Boris Nikolic and Jess Staley. Yes. And that Boris Nikolic is significant because he was, he was... To, to my understanding, I'm going to forget this, but he was uh, intertwined with Melanie Walker. Melanie Walker married Stephen Sinofsky, the the uh, 
C, what is he, the CTO for Microsoft? Um, or was he the CEO, COO? I don't remember. One of the executives for Microsoft. Melanie Walker was introduced to Epstein in 92, um, supposedly at uh, Trump's Tower. Well, she then uh, went on to med school and she, upon completion, apparently worked with Epstein as one of his scientists. And she then worked with Boris Nikolai. Well, she's also a Rockefeller uh, University funded, or excuse me, Rockefeller grant funded. Um, she wrote articles for the World Economic Forum, um, particularly about some of this uh, fourth industrial revolution, medical technology type stuff. Um, she was a Gates scientist and she was on some center for public impact. I think it was called, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but their philosophy was the world government needs to be changed. It needs to be reimagined. Well, I don't know. That's what Klaus Schwab uses for words. Um, so if you look at the ideology that she has, you look at, she was at World Bank. That's another one. She worked directly for the president of World Bank. And you look at the, the mentality that she had and the access to people that she had. Again, this is alarming. And you know, go ahead. We haven't even touched on the young global leaders. And Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and that yeah. one started, um, again, to my knowledge, in 1993. And so you look at some of the people that went through the Glo Glo Young Global Leader Program, I think it was first called like Global Leaders of Tomorrow. Um, but it was, you know, a lot of the G, I think all of the G G7 um, leaders are all. Macron, Merkel, uh, Trudeau, Jacinda. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't think why well, I, I never found confirmation of Justin Trudeau was, but his dad was a Club of Rome guy. Um, Fidel and, Castro. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if people, I, I try to, his, his dad to was into, a club of Rome guy. Yeah. I try to encourage people to look into Pierre Trudeau because Pierre, it should be just as alarming. He was a club of Rome guy. And so if he had this mentality, again, managing earth's finite resources with, with all the inputs and outputs of the global economy. And you think back to like, how did communism fail in the past? Well, a lot of it failed because they didn't have the ability or in their mind, didn't have the ability to track and manage perfectly all inputs and outputs in the economy. Well, what is Schwab and cronies trying to implement the ability to do this? And, you know, a good a guy that's been writing on this kind of alarmist for quite, quite some time is Patrick Wood. Uh, he wrote a book called Stop Technocracy. Um, it's probably something that should get a, a little more light than it does because he, he's, he's up to speed on a lot of this stuff. But um, this technocratic mindset has, is, you know, it's got all, decades and decades of history. But um, going back to the young global leader thing, um, that was, uh, if you look at, like I said earlier, Kendi Ibram for critical race theory, um, Alicia Garza, uh, 
you know, Black Lives Matter co-founder. You have Dan Crenshaw, which, you know, they wiped him from that site. Is it because he allegedly wasn't involved? And, and, and so he requested that they take him down. That was the story I had heard. I, I don't buy it. Um, particularly when he's on video saying, uh, that's, you know, you know, as soon as you start talking about a cabal that, you know, you sound like a conspiracy theorist, you know, this evil cabal, I don't, I don't buy that. And, and, you know, I, I'm not really interested in what the World Economic Forum really does in this great reset thing. I looked at their website and, you know, oh, that's what you're talking about. Bullshit. <laughs> Dude, I don't buy your eye patch fucking hero bullshit anymore. I, I'm I'm so mad at that guy. Hey, hey, he's got an eye patch, okay? Take yeah. it easy on him. Yeah, great. You know, uh, with his background, he has the ability and fiduciary responsibility to actually research this stuff uh, and understand it on behalf of his constituency. And he hasn't. And that I, I don't buy that. That's bogus. And if he went through their program, which again, I don't, I don't have all the specifics on it, but I understand it's about a five-year program. It's, it's virtually impossible for him to not grasp what's actually happening, um, which means he's a traitor. I don't know how else to put it. Well, let's run with the assumption, and I think we would both agree that it probably is true, that all this interconnectedness, uh, whether it be UN-affiliated, global banking system-affiliated, politically-affiliated, uh, web of nefarious people are, are acting in coordination to bring about a certain outcome on this planet that does not bode well for the common man, the average citizen who wants to live free and live as an individual and, and dictate the course of their lives in a grassroots fashion. What would you, or what do you believe is a solution to fighting back against these bad actors? If what we're describing is, is a scale that is almost incomprehensible to most people, again, most people are going to look at this and be like, no, it's not true. And it's just like a, a, a inability to believe that it could be true. Like, no, it couldn't be true. My whole life couldn't be run by the this cabal of people that is working together to to force certain outcomes on, on my life. I have control of my life. There's, these people don't, it's, it's not their problem. Uh, they're not causing these problems. Um, how do we, because I, I do, I'll just say it. I, I think that these people are coordinating to bring about a global digital panopticon. I think it's pretty obvious. Um, and they own the media, they own the banking system. They, they sit on many of the boards of uh, many of the major corporations that are pushing ESG. I, I do think that they are fully entrenched in, in a lot of the institutions that run our world. What's a, yeah, would you, what's our solution yeah. here? So you mentioned um, a lot of things there. So you look at uh, the media. Well, that was a rabbit hole I went down to. Uh, how could the founder of CNN donate a billion dollars to the UN and have Ghislaine Maxwell's partner be the manager for it? I think time frames on there. Maybe he wasn't yet. But either way, it's still, okay, well, he's in this network. So it doesn't add up. Um, and again, I go back to the Ted Turner. That's what it is. 
it was on videos essentially saying overpopulation and climate yeah. change. You know, too many people using too much stuff. I think you said we well, need 900, billion, 900 million people. We need to limit it to like 900 million people. Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, so you look at this mindset. Okay. Do I think that the virus itself or the vaccine are, are meant to bring about the, the, the depopulation or population management? I don't. But I, I think it's laying the framework for that potential in the future, uh, whether it's uh, they control our immune systems um, through periodic compulsory injections. Um, when you look at you look at how they want to manage the economy, they want to manage manage people's immune systems and, and human evolution in a similar manner. They think that they can affect all of this and control it. Um, I vehemently disagree with everything that Bill Gates represents. I think he's a psychopath and he unfortunately owns or essentially owns the World Health Organization. He's, you know, the, the, to any nation, he's the biggest donor. I think when Trump pulled out um, the U.S., I think he was the biggest donor. I'd have to look back and fact check that, but uh, either way, the massive influence. Um, when you look into the media, so that was CNN. Additionally, CNN, uh, Zucker, who was just ousted, uh, his wife was pictured m multiple times with Ghislaine. CNN had Ghislaine on their show. Um, they had, uh, you know, Harvey Weinstein. They were quite involved with him. And so, and then there was that, Tubin guy who got caught masturbating on Zoom or he's something. He's back. You know, he's back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How do these things keep happening? You know, I, I don't think they're coincident, but that's CNN. And I don't mean to pick on them because you look at um, even Fox News. You have Rupert, Mur Mur Rupert Murdoch was pictured with Ghislaine. Rupert, Rupert Murdoch was in Epstein's Black Book. Uh, Robert Maxwell and Rupert Murdoch uh were kind of competitors. Maxwell uh, apparently envied Murdoch and was was trying to, I guess, compete with him. And so you look at, okay, well, media ties, government ties, finance, uh, science. I mean, this guy was involved in everything. And in, you have to, again, you have to wonder, are, are our own FBI and CIA completely freaking inept are they are they incompetent that they couldn't see all this no i don't buy it they were involved to what degree i don't know i mean I, know, so, I talked about this book last week with dave column and again freaks if you haven't read it i can read the devil's chess book or the devil's uh chess oh, i meant to read that the CIA was founded by Satanists and, and Nazis that, that were very, very much enamored with psychological operations and eugenics. I think it's, it's, it's a fact. Like you, again, you can go back and fact check these. Like Alan Duels was an avowed Satanist. They, they brought in Nazis. Uh, there's enough freedom of information. There's enough time has elapsed that you can use the Freedom of Information Act to learn about MK Ultra, Operation Paperclip, Operation Mockingbird. Like these things are out in the open. <laughs> yeah, and and <clears throat> was it was it Rockefeller? 
Um, it was it was it, he was the Secretary of State for Truman, and, and Truman signed the the NSA Act, uh, which is in nineteen forty seven, and 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 that gave birth to the um, the CIA, if I remember correctly. Um, so so you, again, you look at the Rockefellers. Is that's another one. You, I'm sorry to go all over the board here, but it's it's hard to tell this in a story succinctly and, and um, consecutively for people. You know, so we'll say we'll go to this contemporary issue with Rockefeller. So Rockefeller was behind the Operation Lockstep in uh, 2010. The planner for that was Peter Schwartz, a futurologist, if you want to call him. Well, Salesforce, Mark Benioff hired him. Mark Benioff sits on the board of World Economic Forum. Mark Benioff is on Lynn Rothschild's Inclusive Capitalism Council. And this is Salesforce, who made his billions off of uh, software as a service, and now we see vaccines as a service being rolled out. And so you have a, a subscription program for your immunity for the rest of your life is what it's appearing to be. And I don't even have to have a science background to say, well, it appears that way. We're on booster four or five or wherever the hell we're going with this thing. And they want to roll out, um, what is it? Like they want to do the flu shot, the... Um, coming out with an HIV vaccine too. HIV, flu shot. Um, God, I I just read on this. I I think I have it handy here. Um, yeah, I don't, maybe I don't have it handy, but, but anyway, yeah, they they essentially want to do this with all the disease and, and, and if they're going to tie it to your vaccine passport and then your central bank digital currency with, with some kind of social, uh, credit scoring system, that's going to, be able to dictate what you can or cannot do, your ability to um, access capital, uh, take out loans, co- conduct commerce. I mean, if all of this is going to be tied to your compliance or conformity to their system, how? what do you do to combat it? Well, number one, you have to understand they're evil. Okay, we, I, I think we've, we've established at least some of that. I can, can, can go much deeper into it. But you have to understand they're evil. Okay, well, they're evil. And you have to understand that they've been at this for decades, if not centuries. But we'll say decades. You have to understand they've had the ability to perfect their craft of warfare through multiple wars. Um, And, you know, whether it's, as you mentioned, psychological warfare or... um, you know, their, their, their systems, um, what is it called? Uh, the systems, I forget the name of it, but uh, a lot of technocracy is, is being able to set up systems. And, and uh, Jacques Alou, uh, you could look at his uh, technique, I think he called it. Uh, but our, when I go back to that, I, I just think, are we ran by the machine or do we run the machine? Well, it's, it's becoming apparent that the, the World Economic Forum with the stakeholder capitalism, ESG, sustainability accounting standards board, they're setting up the ability to bypass your electoral representation with your vote and with your wallet. So if you can't affect change in your life any longer with 
either your your ballot at the at the voting booth or your um, you're, you're taking your capital elsewhere. I don't know. I, I, I do push localism, decentralization, decentralized concepts. Um, and I know the Bitcoin, Bitcoin community, um, you know, absolutely promotes these things. Um, you could go down into avenues of, well, the, again, they per- per- perfected warfare for, you know, decades, if not centuries. And, and so how are they going to leverage their finance and um, these dystopian, um, you know, as you call it, a digital panopticon? How are they going to leverage this against people to uh, try to live off the grid or live off their systems? I mean, I think you need to expect everything. They're going to come at you with the full force of the the national security apparatus. And, you know, you look at like the January 6th thing. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't care what your political views are. If you look at that and you can't at least consider the possibility that, hey, this there, there's some staged uh, actions in this. It's not organic. Um, there's something more to it than just a bunch of pissed off, uh, you know, populists trying to, you know, I guess, uh, uh, find some kind of legitimacy in their voting system. If, if you can't consider that, hey, they're they're leveraging that to strip more freedoms away, I don't, I don't know how I don't know how you combat these things. It's this is why when I when I started my Twitter thread back in August of 2020, it was it was kind of like I I'm exasperated. I don't, I don't know what else to do because I don't care if. I could go be an executive for some domestic medical manufacturing corporation. I could probably do well for myself, but I'm not going to be under the thumb of some ESG stakeholder capitalism, Klaus Schwab dipshit that wants to, you know, force me to force injections upon people, upon people, or or whatever it is. I, I I didn't sign up for the army, you know, in in 2002, whatever it was, a year after 9/11. I didn't do that because I. I, I wanted to support the the U.S. establishment, military industrial complex machine. People need to understand that, again, our founders didn't intend for that. Our founders didn't intend to chase hegemony. They intended to preserve individualism, individual liberty. And, and so when you, when you look at this machine, um, that, that's not something I ever intended to support, but I did. And so I went through a, almost like a grieving process of understanding like, hey, the, the, the U.S. military is not really serving um, the Constitution. And so how do you attack these things? Well, as you stated in a long question and you're getting back a long answer, that's really not answering it, is, is the only thing I could think to do was start explaining this to people. And I thought, you know, maybe people just need to understand it, at least understand the evil behind it to motivate them to do things like the truckers rally in Canada, which going back to the constitution, defending the constitution again, you know, maybe it's insulting to some of my veteran friends, but the Canadian truckers have done more to defend the United States constitution than any contemporary veteran. And that sounds insulting, but it's true. 
because they're fighting for individual liberty, your individual rights, your civil liberties, your ability to have your own autonomy, your own agency against this machine. And again, our founders didn't intend on having this machine. They were, uh, they were opposed to it. And so the, the machine has, is taken over and it's running us as opposed to us running the machine. And, and Alul is the guy that kind of explains a lot of that. I'm a big 40 foot, 40,000 foot guy. I, I don't, I don't remember a lot of details about a lot of these books I read and in avenues I go down, but I try to look at, you know, my framing of the entire world. And I, I don't, I think that given my time in the military and understanding how they, they structure um, your, your, your clearances, they do it in a manner of which you, you, you only get access to information you need to know at your level for the purpose you need to know it for. But they intentionally separate you from being able to understand the grander operation by separating your ability to know what the other guy is doing. And so when you look at that and everything that's occurring, well, the World Economic Forum right now is, is, is king of the castle. They've got access to all of these experts in all of these different fields, whether it's finance, science, it, you name it, everything. They have access to all of these experts and they have for decades. And they're, they're weaponizing that against all of us. And, you know, you and I can talk from our limited levels of expertise. Maybe, it, you know, I flew helicopters. I, I did army stuff. I ran small businesses. I have some finance understanding. You know, so I, I have some limited level but I don't understand science. So I can't refute what, you know, the CDC is saying other than I can find some, some uh, inconsistencies in what they say, but I don't have the ability to do that. Well, Carl Schwab and cronies, they have the ability to access all of this and they have the ability to, to know all areas of all of this and they can leverage that against all of us. And that's kind of what's happening. That's the way I see it. So I think, I think, you know, the Bitcoin community, and I own Bitcoin, by the way, um, but in uh, and, and have you know since seventeen. Which I also, when I started speaking about this stuff, I was sim swapped. Um, you could probably find. Uh, oh, you know, shit. Kate, yeah, Kate, Kate Long um, invited me to uh, um, testify to the Wyoming legislature on, on the tech uh, telco's ability to. Um, uh, I guess limit some of this stuff and maybe some of the reliability. So I, I did that. You could probably find my testimony out there somewhere. But um, the, when I started speaking out about all this stuff, and I can't help but consider the potential that these were related as uh, this sim swap. Okay, well the, the phone company uh, tells them tells me allegedly they had my um, they had my driver's license. Oh, I, that's bullshit. I never lost it. Okay, so if they didn't have my driver's license, they got access to this, and now they and then they got my Apple ID and then my Google ID and then my Microsoft, and then, you know they went through the chain. And so, um, yeah, I've been in that community for a while. I don't talk about it that much because it's not that I don't think it's a solution. It, it can be incorporated as part of the solution, but um, I also think that people need to understand that they need to fight back at the local level. Because that's where the UN is really driving this Agenda 21. They, they, they've infiltrated cities at the local, county, uh, city, state level, um, and that was because 
again, my understanding is, is Congress has never actually signed on or with Agenda 21, but they bypass it by going directly to cities, city leaders, mayors. And this is something that the World Economic Forum has done as well. Um, even Phoenix mayor, I forget her name, but she was a young global leader. And, and so I think that it's imperative that people understand this. And, you know, again, I, I went to Twitter because I was thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I can link up with people that will be able to, you know, use their ingenuity to come up with ways to fight back. I don't know. I do have, as I mentioned before we started recording, I, I have a, a few ideas, um, but, um, you know, and, and at some point, you know, when I find the right people within probably the decentralized, you know, blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin community uh, that we can help come up with ways, I, I don't know. But I think you have to expect, you know, they're, they're going to come after Bitcoin with either like a, a unrealized capitalized, capitalized gains tax, um, AML, KYC, they're going to track everything, they, you know. What are the? I appreciate that there are efforts. People are fighting some of the ways already, and anticipating some of the ways that that I think the national security apparatus, the 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 Fed, the Black Rocks, the WEF, uh, that they're going to be trying to fight. But it is going to be a fight. And you know, we went from nation versus nation, red versus blue, um, all of these these. Um, I guess, dialectics that people uh, use for conquer and divide or divide and conquer. And, and now we're, we're going to be facing more of a, a battle between the globalists and humanity. I don't know how else to view that. So getting involved locally, pushing back at, you know, organically at, at the grassroots level, I think that has to occur. Um, this this Trudeau banning horning or banning the, the honking of horns, they're showing their fangs, and I think that's going to help wake up some more people. Um, but you know, e even historically, like if you look at resistance from different um, levels of any conflict, it's 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 a a fraction of the total population that actually fights back. Not everybody is going to get involved. Um, and, you know, that was part of my battle too, is, is just accepting that it doesn't matter what information I show these people. Uh, it's like, it's like in the movie, the matrix, when he sees the woman with the red dress walk by and, and, uh, what's his name pulls the gun in his face. Um, and Neo sees the, the woman and it's explained to him, Hey, these people are part of the system and they're your enemy until they're essentially awoken to what the matrix is. And that's kind of what we're living through is, is, you know, you have the black lives matter people that, you know, I, I, I understand their socioeconomic pain. I mean, a lot of it I think is, you know, fed driven, you know, you screwed our nation uh, and, and ability to improve people's lot in lives by printing money, devaluing our currency and, and you, instead of accepting, acknowledging, and educating people on that, you instead convince them that systemic racism is the issue. How many people that that claim systemic racism is the issue fully understand the Fed? How many people that even even this this Epstein shit? 
how many of them uh, that are pushing uh, how terrible Ghislaine and Epstein were, how many of them are still promoting Me Too? When you understand that Me Too was a World Economic Forum crony driven uh, agenda. I, I, like somehow we got to wake people up to understand that you're being manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love her to death. But this morning, my wife and I were FaceTiming my mother in law with our son and morning FaceTime and <clears throat> explain we're going to see Joe Rogan show tonight. Uh, he's playing down the street here. Uh, we're going to go see a stand up, my wife and I and a couple of friends. And uh, he mentioned that to her. She's like, oh, oh, like just like immediately, like viscerally reacting, like, oh, he's a bad, he's a, he's a, a bad person. Like, I hope you aren't supporting the truckers too. It was like her line. I was like, oh my God, like, are you kidding me? Like, yes, I am supporting the truckers. But I do think, even though my mother-in-law and I love you to death, Maggie, uh, the it, it doesn't seem to be awake yet. Uh, it is one of those people stuck in the matrix. I do think what's going on in Canada specifically right now is waking a lot of people up, especially if you're able to see... And, and that's the thing. She's in her 70s. She's not seeing the videos on Twitter of, of, of Sikhs, uh, indigenous people, white people, black people getting together and, and literally having the most peaceful protests. Only Canadians could do this. Uh, the French would be unable to do this. Here in the United States, we'd probably be unable to do it. Thank God we have our, our very polite and uh, put-together friends uh, on our nor above our northern border in Canada doing this and leading this charge because I think... Saying uh, they're they're really doing it in a way in which it's really hard to attack them because they're being extremely peaceful and and you, the only way to attack them is just pure gaslighting from Justin Trudeau where he's just like overtly yeah. lying that it's like all Nazis and a fringe minority which it certainly does not seem to be the case. That the the, the, the people walking around with empty gas cans just really got me <laughs> right. But I, uh, and it's emboldening people. I mean, you're seeing trucker protests pop up in New Zealand, Germany, Netherlands, all over the place. There's talks of it happening here in the United States. But I do think, I mean, and the financial system too is at a point where it is, it's not going to end well. That was part of my logic. Again, this pin thread that I talked about, that was kind of my my trying to assess and assimilate everything that's happening in the world and how does it come together? Well, you know, I have a great reset or global reset sub thread uh, tied to it. And in that, um, I, I talked about the IMFs. Um, uh, they, they came out with a report that talked about uh, negative interest rate uh, policy. And, you know, I, you look at, okay, well, our debt, debt to G GDP ratio, um, the highest has ever been by large margin. And then you have um, the tax revenues based on, uh, you know, corporations surviving, but then so much of our past 40 years of declining interest rates contributed to the ability for corporations to expand their leverage, which, you know, financialization of our of our economy, as opposed to investment in, in PPE and R&D. Um, and it, it's not a uh, sustainable, <laughs> I hate to use that word, but it's not a sustainable way to improve our economy and and be able to, um, I guess, I guess um, 
create jobs, uh, create progress, whatever you want to call it. And instead, it's kind of been almost like a, 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 a leveraged buyout of our country that was uh, brokered by the World Economic Forum, um, profiting on the sale of our manufacturing and our, our, um, our core to China. And instead, they're, they're implementing and imposing the, the systems that they've seemingly perfected in uh, China with the, the CCP's um, social credit score. Yeah. And they're, um, and, and, and so this, uh, The, the, you look at the Uyghur slaves and then you look at just how they're utilizing like 5G with the the ability to monitor everything, it's like a biosurveillance uh, state that is being structured there is also going to be implemented here. But you're going to tie it to you know vaccines and, and your health policy and, and your conformity to the, these metrics. Meanwhile, you start looking at the cities that have the most surveillance cameras set up, we're, we're implementing that everywhere. And, and the Belt and Road Initiative had been using a lot of these smaller countries to implement these systems in their country. So with, with that's the other thing, Merkel, Germany, um, and, and some of these other countries, the, these leaders using Huawei, you know, again, going back to Trump, China, World Economic Forum pushing back against the globalists, seeing where you know how much influence China has on the World Health Organization. It kind of made me wonder. Okay, well, is there intent to take to to implement some kind of China-style CBDC at the IMF level globally? And, and if that happens, you know, I don't know. Do we go back to to, to bartering with you know gold and silver and and and, and groceries you know like yeah, we're not going to survive people aren't no i mean this is why bitcoin is an imperative in my mind we just need to continue further distributing the bitcoin network whether it be at a hash rate level making sure that the mining of of bitcoin is geographically distributed and, and the ownership of that hash rate is distributed as well between as many individuals and companies as possible need as many nodes being run around the world and we need to begin or continue to educate people about Bitcoin, the power of Bitcoin, how it can be a tool to fight back against the encroaching nefariousness that we've been describing throughout this whole conversation. And then go from there, keep building these parallel systems that allow us to just like look at what they're building and say, I don't want any part of that. I'm going to go live and, and work and operate within this one. And I think it's all like it is everything that we've been discussing is a bit daunting. It's a bit scary, but I do think they're slipping up. Like I, you just look at them. You, they look like drones. They look like puppets. They look like they're sociopathic, lifeless, uh, emotionless drones that are pushing us. I think people are beginning to wake up to the fact that these people are this way. They're not really human like you and I are in the sense that they have empathy for other people and they actually care. Uh, they, they just seem like, like corporate despotic shills 
that that are doing the bidding of of the Maxwells and the Gates and the power players of the world that may have stemmed from something like the Club of Rome or the World Economic Forum. Yeah. And, you know, do we as people, and this is why, again, I, I, I thought my best solution was to try to get the information out there was, do we as people accept that the ruling class is benevolent if they have these intentions of, even if you want to believe climate change and you want to believe, um, you know, they're they're just inept and they're actually pushing these agendas. Do you want to give them the power to be able to screw up things even worse for you in the future? I just, I don't know how you look at, okay, well, all these associations, you know, Al Gore on, 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 um, you know, he's named in, you know, by Virginia Dufre and, and uh, Epstein's Island. This guy is on the World Economic Forum's board of trustees. He was Clinton's, you know, vice president. And he's one of these Club of Rome uh, climate change pushers. You know, how do we associate all of these people that are pushing these things and not consider the possibility that they would do something awful, like maybe deliberately plan a virus or whatever it is, you know, population controlled via uh, compulsory injections in the future. I, I have no idea. Yeah, you know, you can look to the sci-fi movies to decide how bad this could really get. All I can say is if you just boil it down to these people are evil, do we want to give them more power? But somehow you, you got to get people to understand all this. Yeah. Yeah, you, you have to wake up and smell the roses and realize it's not people of power conspire to do nah. certain things. It's like conspiracy theorists is one of the most effective gaslighting. Yes. Uh, verbal mechanisms <laughs> that has ever, ever existed. You're a conspiracy theorist. You have theories that people conspire yeah. to do things. Like, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I, I saw... Uh, why, is that why is that crazy? Why is it crazy to think that, that people... Exactly. Conspire? What, is, what does the word conspire mean? Like, let's just break it down. And, Eric, and like, you can Freedom of Information Act that too. That was implemented by the FBI to discredit yes. people. <laughs> yes, intentionally. Yes. And, and there, is a, there is something out there I would have to chase it down, but now that brings that to attention that, that supposedly the, this ideally ideology with the anthropogenic climate change uh, agenda was uh, implemented for the sole purpose of implementing this global governance, not, yeah. not because they cared about the environment or any of this. Yeah. Shit and it's the, I forget what bill they just passed, whatever it was, the infrastructure bill in mean, 2026, you know what, you, you have to have a kill switch in every car that's created. Oh, uh, we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna justify that via climate change, but it's really so much like, for the trucker rallies. Yes, exactly. No more honk honking in Ottawa if, he, if Justin <laughs> Trudeau can uh, from his from his bomb shelter wherever wherever he's hiding right now. I can just hit a button, and kill switch every car. What this is what the, how, how did our dictators end up being pansies? I mean, couldn't we at least have well, some evil like oh, okay. powerful people? Could He's you have 
Oh well, yeah, because you have like yeah, again we live in a time of weak men, and that's why I think <laughs> they're ultimately going to be unsuccessful is because they have a bunch of fucking idiots and weak men and pansies trying to implement their their plans. Like uh, even Klaus Schwab, like he's getting to a point where everybody's like, well, "Who the fuck are you? Like, why are you telling us what to do? Why are you telling me I'm not going to own anything and I'm going to be happy by 2030? Why do you keep telling me to eat bugs? Why are you talking about a cyber pandemic?" Yeah, that's another one. Well, so that was one I tweeted about too. Is is the FBI went to his cyber, whatever cyber warfare thing, the the cyber Cyber polygon, yeah, cyber polygon event, and Mm -hmm. I saw that FBI Director Ray was there at the same time that there was. Even if you again, you don't buy that there was any kind of election interference or or. You know, Biden legitimately got 81 million votes or whatever, whatever you believe. Most popular president in human history. Yeah. If you believe that, that's fine. But if you can't consider, wait a minute, why why is Director Ray, the FBI, why is he going to this cyber polygon event to talk about the potential cyber warfare literally just days after this supposed election interference? Like, wouldn't wouldn't you think your priority would everything would be focused on this election interference. Yeah. Not <laughs> think of the contradiction. Think supporting of the- in the documents, supporting the fourth industrial revolution and great reset. Wouldn't you think that number one, it's weird that he went to this event that supports this, but wouldn't you think it's also maybe priorities should be on just confirming the legitimacy, legitimacy of the election to allay people's concerns about the potential interference. Yeah. And think of the inherent contradiction there too. Like, hey, I'm here at this cyber polygon event, which is essentially admitting that the 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 world is susceptible to mass techno technological manipulation. But <laughs> there's no way that happened in the election that just ended a few days ago. Exactly. It's laughable because again, it's all out in the open. Like they think maybe most people are stupid and they just rely on that. Yeah. Well, you know, I had a cousin who's double vaccinated and boosted, who's a week into COVID and he's having a rough time, really rough time, 105 degree temp, and went in the hospital. Good guy. And you know, you know, we talked and and you know, he 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 had said that hey, you know, I think. um, you know, I did, I did the right things. I did what I was supposed to, and this shouldn't be happening. And, and I just, you know, Hey, you know, you know, it's, it's hard to not uh, launch into everything we've just discussed and try to explain all that. Um, you know, by the way, it might be bio warfare and it might be, you know, it's hard to not just go into all that. You know, I want to go full, I want to go full Alex Jones. They're demonic. (laughs) (laughs) You're being controlled by demons. And again, going back to that, like, you know, Biden's Biden's uh, chief uh, science advisor, uh, Lander, just resigned. And it was over uh, probably sexual harassment or something, whatever the hell it was. But he he was an Epstein dude. And and that's, you know, it's not just him. There was Gail Smith, who was uh, a vaccine uh, ambassador or whatever, whatever her position is gail smith uh, she was a previous cia person in africa well she was oh vaccine dis- diplomacy um she was on epstein's flights 
And that's why I'm like, hey, people, maybe maybe this whole Epstein thing isn't just uh, sex, pedophilia, human trafficking. Maybe there's something more nefarious here. Maybe you need to look at why was he involved in so much banking, currency, uh, science, particularly DARPA science, and also eugenics, transhumanism, AI, all of this fourth industrial revolution type science. With everything that's occurring, there's clearly some kind of connection. Yeah, and and they're trying to wipe it under the carpet. I mean, pff, he uh, he suicided himself with uh, with paper thin uh, sheets, and then his his madame, his partner in crime, Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, we can't have any media covering her trial. Uh, we're not all right. We'll we'll say that she's guilty, but we won't uh, we won't dare go down the path of, of trying to figure out who she was doing business with, who she was uh, feeding underage individuals right. to. Like, yeah, no, yeah, she's, she has hundreds of clients. We're just not going to dig into who they are and why they were. Working and again, you, you look at the, you look at the black book, you look at the flight logs and you look at the, the, the pattern of people, Tony Blair, he was a club of Rome guy. Uh, or, or was it a Fabian society? One of the two. But they're into this this shit. And then you have um, uh, who's another one? I was trying to think of. Uh, I don't. Know. I can't think. Oh, Bloomberg. He was in that in, in that black book, and he's he's pushing a lot of this uh, SASB stuff. And and then you have uh, the royalty. Well, they're com- they came out with this uh, Terra Carta, which is some kind of earth worshiping constitution type of thing. I don't know what the hell it is. I haven't spent a significant time in it, but, but it sounds like Terra Mar, if you ask me, but, um, you know, see, I don't, I don't know how we, we, I don't know how people keep ignoring all of this stuff because it, it's so blatant to me that there's clearly some kind of at a minimum, some kind of national security, some kind of espionage, some kind of science, and it's all related to everything that's occurring. And in the the FBI is not going to do it because they have some kind of involvement. The CIA isn't. Same thing. The royalty, you know, the royal family is not because they're clearly involved. And you know, and then so you. That's the other thing I don't. I haven't uh, pegged yet. Is is there's a lot of Israeli Mossad ties to this. And, and I mean, Robert so, Maxwell. That's who he was working for. Correct. Well, and uh, and MI six. So, w- which where did he have loyalty? Well, well, maybe he didn't have loyalty to any, and that that was that's more of where I, I still kind of think. Uh, and and what I mean by that is, here's an unprincipled person willing to do all of this stuff that he's willing to do. Maybe he has an ideology with some of these the Fabian Society, the Club of Rome people. And maybe it's that they're conspiring outside of governments, nations, or faiths. And maybe that's where this is, the genesis of it is. I don't know, but there is clearly Israeli Mossad ties. There is MI6 ties. There is CIA ties um, and NSA, FBI. So when you look at all of these things, oh, and Australia too. I mean, there's, there's loads of ties in that as well. So when you look at this, it's in, it's impossible, impossible to ignore that there's something bigger there than just child trafficking. 
and that's not to belittle uh, the victims that have gone through this. Um, it's just that the blackmail was used for something. And to not consider that it's playing into concurrent events is, is asinine. Yeah, it's naive, asinine, completely stupid. And to seek answers about this, like you have to come to podcasts like this. You're not going to find it on CNN. You're not going to find it on Fox News. You're gonna f- not going to find it on MSNBC. Probably not even going to find it on Rogan anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. you, like, well, although, isn't he being tempted by Rumble? Didn't they yeah, put out well, some kind of million dollar? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm not holding my breath on that. I think he's, I think Spotify might get pressured to, to kick him off and hopefully he comes to podcasting 2.0. Which uh, is enabled by Bitcoin. Um, like, so if people are going to listen to this show that we're recording right now when we put it on our RSS feed, and they're going to be able to send us bits of Bitcoin per minute. Listen, they can tip us in Bitcoin and go straight to a wallet that I control on a computer that I own. Um, and hypothetically, if we wanted to, if you had a, a Bitcoin uh, Lightning Network address, which is a second layer on top of Bitcoin, I could plug it in to this episode and they could stream USATs directly too. I'd say, hey, I want to send Jesse cool. 50% of the Bitcoin that comes through on this episode. That's stuff I got to learn about. Um, <clears throat> like I said, I, I, I learned a, a lot of what I learned about the Bitcoin community was back in the 2017 timeframe. Mm-hmm. Um, that SIM swapping issue, when I went through that, I, I I mean, I'll tell you when I was going through it, I knew what I knew what was happening when it was happening, too. So I was on the other line with um, my bank on a different phone um, trying to freeze that. And then I transferred a lot of my I mean, I market sold and transferred a lot of what I had into my bank. So it was a wire transfer. But I'm still, you know, what am I a year? I don't I forget how long it's been, but uh, after the effect and I'm. Uh, even this morning, I can't access my my other computer that I was going to set aside for notes because I, I don't remember my Microsoft password that I've changed 1,700 times since then and have two-factor authentication and all this shit set up so that I can try and avoid getting robbed again. When it happened, I wanted to sit in my living room with a pile of guns, ammo, and gold and silver and, and cash and not talk to anybody ever again because I was so freaked out. And so... Um, since then, people have kind of forwarded me some solutions um, for that as well. So, um, but yes, people don't keep your seeds, which I didn't. Don't keep your seeds to your, you know, two-factor authentication in your your email. Don't have it digitally anywhere. Have that shit not like I did in a cupboard, uh, you know, uh, or a safe or something. Write it down, um, and, and that was probably the thing that would have saved me with everything because they rifled through. You know, like I said, all my accounts, everything, they, they froze me out of it instantaneously. Um, and then they threatened me. Fuck those people. Yeah. Get, yeah. get your Bitcoin off the exchanges in the cold storage. Yes. It's imperative because they're going to they're gonna not allow you to take your Bitcoin off exchanges at some point in the future. And be careful, too. They're going to use that KYC AML to pinpoint, uh, hey, we, we are pretty sure that you own this address that you send the Bitcoin to from the exchange. Uh, and at that point, they could try to intimidate you with guns and pressure to, to pay your unrealized capital gains tax, whatever they're going to institute. But I think the lesson to take from this episode is these people are crazy. They're psychotic. They're evil. They do not care about you. They want you 
ushered into a digital panopticon. They're working aggressively in a very coordinated fashion across the world to do this. They're going to use psychological operations to gaslight you into thinking that uh, Bitcoiners are bad, truckers are bad, Joe Rogan's bad, all this stuff. But uh, do your own research, rise above the, the psychological operation that's being waged on you and fight back. Tell these people to go back to hell where they came from. Yeah, pretty much. Jesse, I hope to see you on Twitter again soon. Yeah, well, we'll see. Like I said, I, I'm uh, a little miffed that uh, they did that. And now I'm deciding, well, maybe I need to find some other avenue. What that is yet, I don't know yet. Hey, uh, Bill Gates says in a TED Talk that he thinks we need to, to kill one or two billion people via vaccinations or something like that, lower the population uh, in 2012 or 2015, whenever he did that. And he's fine. He's Oh yeah, that was that was the Good Club in two thousand nine. The, yeah. the, these 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 Club of Rome billionaires met in two thousand nine to talk about overpopulation, yeah. and then three years later, Epstein had a bunch of scientists, DARPA scientists, on his island to talk about overpopulation. They're obsessed, they're obsessed with with uh, lowering the population, which is weird, just a bit weird in and of itself. Especially if you consider if overpopulation did happen. You would assume that none of them would care because they'd be dead by the time that the world um, rid itself of all its resources. They don't care about overpopulation. I mean, they do. I think think, they they don't want to care about control. And well, I would say if if you're really trying to go down the sci-fi route, um, you know, there's a document out there for human augmentation from uh, the UK. There's documentation on bio digital convergence from the Canada government. There's the NBIC, so nano, nanotechnology, biotechnology, uh, information technology, and cognitive, was it cognitive sciences? I forget, NBIC, but that's the United States version. You can go back to Clinton administration. He started funding a lot of that shit around the same time that they found this God gene and started funding this, this human genome program, which uh, Epstein's friend, George Church has grants from DARPA and he's working with China uh, and right in the human genome uh, project uh, documentation says coming something along the lines of coming up with methodology to bypass human consent to <laughs> advance science. And I'm like, well, that's strange, um, particularly when it's China um, and, and he's getting these grants and he's involved with Epstein. I mean, the shit is so crazy. Yeah. And it's happening. Nah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and another one, uh, Disney. And, and, and so this is why I think a lot of the like the the Q stuff, um, there's a lot of directionally accurate things with it. But you have to consider that it was either either it was genuine initially and, and these people were onto something and it was maybe hijacked and, and, and taken down a conspiracy there I don't think like, I don't think it was hijacked. I think it was a psyop the whole time. They were like, "Let's yeah. just create this, get a bunch of yeah. people believing this. Like, yep. it'll get dragged along." And now we can discredit them. Yes, and discredit this entire anybody investigating this stuff. Um, and you know, so now you see that you know some of the the, the establishment is calling these people GQP. Uh, anybody that brings up anything Epstein related, well, um, you know the. Uh, Doug Band 
that was Clinton's attorney. He even went out and he was saying, hey, Clinton's dirty. Um, well, Doug Band was on, on like 12 flights. Uh, and, and Doug Band played a role in, in establishing the Clinton Foundation, which Epstein also did too, which means Doug Band worked with Epstein to be able to establish this. And so where do you find truth in all this shit? Well, Bob Iger, uh, who was the CEO of Disney, he was on uh, the PCAST. So again, the science, whatever foundation or not uh, fund arm of, of, of our government. Um, well, Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, Disney owns ABC. ABC is the one that shut down with that uh, Amy, Amy Robach uh, Project Veritas uh, yeah. video that came out. Yeah. ABC is part of the people that shut that down, along with, according to Amy Robach, the crown. Well, so you go to the CEO of Disney. Um, he worked, was it, is it, I want to say it was his father, worked under Robert Maxwell's uh, Macmillan Publishing. But he appointed Robert Cook as chairman three days after Robert Cook was on Epstein's plane. Plane. Well, additionally, Bob Iger named his kid Robert Maxwell. That's weird. Weird. Very weird. There's a lot of weird things going on, Jesse. But we're, <laughs> we're conspiracy theorists. You know, we're, yeah. we're discredited. So whether it's your, you know, your media is I'm happy to be a conspiracy theorist, by the way, because I admit that men and women of power conspire to do things. And if you don't believe That's that, right. you are. You just keep hammering that. You were it's mentally defective. Home. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got Micah Brzezinski of NBC, who's the daughter of, how do you even say his name? She's Z on Morning Zibinoff. Joe, right? Yeah. Z was it Z Z Zibinoff, uh Brzezinski? Zibinoff. Zibinoff, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he was um, he he was a, a trilateral guy, trilateral commission. So when you look at oh Norman Dodd, this is one you know I, I shared this video many times, but people should look at this guy. So Norman Dodd had investigated a lot of these these like NGOs, these nonprofits, and Rockefellers and, and whatnot, and he basically concluded like, hey, you know. They're, they're infiltrating our institutions and, and trying to take over our education system um, and subvert our democracy, or our constitutional republic, um, through using these, these entities outside. And, you know, they tried to shut him down by calling him anti-Semitic. And he was essentially saying, hey, Rockefellers are involved with this. And so... Um, yeah, this has been going on a long time. Yeah. Rockefeller was the founder of, of Trilateral Commission, uh, supposedly has involvement with Club of Rome and, and counts on foreign relations. Most well, people don't even know what the hell any of these are. This is somebody who like works in oil and gas now to a certain extent. It's a big shame. It's like I wonder like how the Rockefellers got this way, because John D. Rockefeller like finding kerosene and bringing like the, the oil revolution to North America is a very valuable part to human history in the sense that he helped bring about the, the modern society that we have today by bringing about uh, hydrocarbons that are dense and allowing us to get to a point where we can have combustible engines and stuff like that. Like I wonder, he did all the hard work, built this up, and then his family just get weak and weak and weak and they don't have 
any ability themselves to be as innovative and ingenious as their their uh, ancestor was. And, and you know, it was, it was something that you, I, I don't remember if it, was, if it was you that said it on one of your shows that I listened to, um, you were using something that I kind of try to relate to people. These people, they, they're not elites. Quit calling them elites. They're parasites. And and they didn't get there through through merit and innovation. They got there through, you know, the Cantillon effect, money printing. They, 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 they're they're, they're, they're think, not there. I think that was Michael Krieger, but I did retweet Oh, yeah, him. it might, might have been Michael. Yeah, I think it was Michael. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's essentially it. They're parasites. But you have to look at, you know, Rockefeller additionally uh, played a role with um, – the Nazi eugenics program, yeah, funding some of it. I, I can't remember exactly right now the details on it, but but he was a eugenicist, and so again, you know, how how much of our history do 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 people not know or understand? And they certainly don't question. That's part of the problem. I'm I'm very anti-authoritarian. Um, very. Um, I don't fit in a box, never have. It's surprising that I ever made it in the military. I think it was just because it was a passion of mine uh, and certainly not, you know, to become an officer. I will say that I, I definitely got along with the enlisted class more than I did the officer class um, because I, I, I refused to just, you know, shut up and blindly comply and, and salute the flag. I, I was kind of a pain in their ass, but but I, I performed and my unit performed and, and you know, we did what we needed to. And but uh, you know, I was proud of myself that, you know, I came from enlisted. I came from a, a poor rural community. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's part of why I, I don't have a ton of ambition, you know, to, to run a, an establishment corporate um, operation. And I, I kind of, you know, want to develop ways to fight back against this and give the tools to the plebs to, to, um, you know, you know, make a better life for themselves as opposed to, you know, being manipulated and exploited so much. It's, it's, it's crazy to me to watch this. And that was, you know, in that grad program, they were ham hammering this, you know, diversity and inclusion stuff. And, and we were talking about systemic racism. And, and I just I rolled my eyes and I, you know, I raised my hand and I'm like, look, you know, I came from a rough childhood. I came from a poor community blue collar family. And, you know, I certainly didn't have a silver spoon and I, I got a lot, I got along a lot better with my black, uh, battle buddies and basic training and, and, and my, my military training than I ever got along with the silver spoon, uh, white friends or acquaintances that I grew up with and it had nothing to do with skin color and everything to do with, um, class. Yeah. Socioeconomic, socioeconomic background. And, you know, it's funny, you know, when I said that, um, you know, first, you know, some of the people in the class, well, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, there's reasons X, Y, Z, but there's still systemic racism. After the class, um, a, a guy, a classmate of mine from, from India came up to me and he said, Jesse, I think you're right. I, I, I really think the system kind of manipulates people and, it's it's just crazy to watch this. Yeah, it's, I mean it's classic divide and conquer. Like we've been saying like that they want they want to 
to look like a racist if you say that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist institution that doesn't really care about black lives at the end of the day, which I wholeheartedly believe. I think I know yeah. it to be true. And that's the thing. It, and it's, it's completely racist to say that, uh, and it's not only racist, but demeaning to, to lump like all white people in as, as one race and all black people in as, as another oh, race yeah. and, and completely discredit any individuality of the individuals within those groups that they can, that they create. I think it's demeaning and it's racist to say like all black people are one way, all white people are one way. Like, no, we're all individuals. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. People don't equate, you know, Justin Trudeau coming out and saying, well, this is a racist driven uh, and in white supremacist driven um, um, convoy. And he's saying that based on a few individuals allegedly doing something. They're definitely wrong. agent provocateurs, I would imagine as well. Yeah, which is probably likely. And, but people aren't looking at that and saying, wait a minute, you're, you're labeling this entire group as white supremacists or whatever nonsense that he says, but you don't look at the, the, the whole, uh, well, all police are, what do they call the, the, the ACAB. ACAB, uh, all cops are bad. All cops, yeah, all cops are bad or whatever, bastards, whatever it's supposed to be, I don't know. Um, and you look at that, and you, why don't you see the, the, the inconsistency here? The, the, contradictions it just i don't know what goes through these people these people's heads and and that's why i struggle like how do you convince these people that they're being manipulated right well that's uh, i had tucker max on a few weeks ago and i, I think wait for him i don't think you're ever going to convince them but maybe you can ask them questions that would lead them to convince themselves particularly with covid and the lockdowns it's like all right what would what is the line where you stop getting boosted. You stop putting the mask on. Like, what do you need to see um, for for you to stop violating yourself? Essentially, yeah. Well, you don't put it that way. What what is it? What would like? What do you need to see to to go back to normal? And then they. When think, is there an end to this? And then they think like, I've never thought about that. Why haven't I thought about that? What end state do we, these people that are getting, you know, the, the boosts and the facts and the updates and the whatever, what, what end state do you see with this? I mean, look at, look at Israel, with, you know, four, four times, whatever, you know, the most uh, vaxxed country. If, if you're not seeing this as a, as a non-sterilizing therapeutic that is already animals wild animals have already acquired this and, it, and so it's escape and it's it's spreading everywhere if you're not seeing that this is endemic and it's not something that we're going to eradicate i don't know i don't know what you why you think well if i give up all of my freedoms uh, we're going to somehow stop this or it's going to get better i'm just going to keep complying like i i know so many intelligent people that that aren't aren't stepping back and looking at this and and i don't know i don't know how to get through them which is why i'm here I guess. yeah well, hopefully more people have more conversations like this and maybe this conversation will convince a few people okay maybe the world is run by an evil cabal of psychopaths maybe <laughs> just maybe <laughs> yeah and i encourage people like looking 
I like I said, I put together a lot of this evidence, hard evidence on Twitter. Um, Whitney Webb, she's she's done loads of it, um, you know. And I, she she's more of an investigative journalist. I'm more just I'm pissed off at the world, and and I, I can tell that something I'm being lied to about a lot of shit, and I'm going to be exploited and, and ruled by psychopaths that are not decent people, and I need to do something about it. So. My curiosity and, and my, uh, I, I guess, uh, um, try hard <laughs> and forced me to go start digging because something is wrong here. People need to wake up. Well, Jesse, I hope you keep digging. And again, I hope you come back to Twitter and are able to, to, to present to the world what you've been digging up uh, i would say where can we find you on twitter but we can't we, we can still find you there you can go back and see jesse's tweets he just can't tweet uh, new tweets for the time being yeah. and that's at- i can't access it i can't access my dm so um yeah I, I mean i i i made a tentative uh uh telegram account um it's it's just really so i so i figure out what i'm going to do next but but ultimately i i don't see twitter Without some kind of massive changes, I don't see Twitter. You know, maybe I'll add the account or an account for the for the purpose of, of collecting in information, but I don't think it's a a, a good um, venue for people to continue to support by being there. Um, what is the proper alternative? I don't know. Uh, I'm open to suggestions if if you have them. I'll, I'll I'll move to a different platform. I'll start over. But I can't, I can't support, you know, this this entity that'll just, you know, with a click of a button and no ability to appeal or or plead my case um, unilaterally, ending, you know, what twenty seven, twenty eight thousand followers or whatever, you know, you you build this up over time. If this was my brand, if this was my company, you just eviscerated everything I did over the past what two years with a click of a button. And, and no, no ability for me to fight back. That's, that's insane. Yeah. If you're willing to write longer form, like people do on Substack, I'm actually building something that uh, that should be able to help you out there and make it so that that, that does not become a possibility in the future. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm drafting a, comp- a compilation of a lot of the stuff that I put together. It's difficult without access to my account um, for... Um, cultural husbandry. Um, I don't, I don't even know so many people on Twitter. I only know their handles and I don't know their names. I don't know anything about them. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And which is something they're trying to end as well. Yes. Um, any kind of anonymity. So, um, and you know, it's amazing. Like, you know, people like Eric Schmidt are behind a lot of this and that guy has another Ghislaine Maxwell tie. She was married to Scott Borgerson, and he was on her Terramar board. Well, when you when you know what Scott Borgerson was doing with Cargo Metrics, uh, his his company, well, Eric Schmidt seed funded that, and Scott Borgerson aimed to be the NSA of the sea, is 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 what he had called it. Well, basically, they wanted to track every single cargo movement around the entire world with internet of things, blockchain, and in, in being able to real time, be able to invest based on 
what movements were being made. And so if you look at the people that I think Stan Druckenmiller maybe might have even been involved in it, but I, I don't want to say that because I, 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 I actually respect him. But I, I, there, there, are, there are people that were involved in the seed funding of this that you have to look at and say, well, how do so many of these billionaires accidentally support Ghislaine or Epstein or, or, or their associates? How do you not how do you not see what happened and say, hey, wait a minute, maybe I don't want to have my investments associated with that? Yeah. Ask these questions, freaks. Um, yes. Jesse. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your outlet. Um, thank I, you so much for having me on. I appreciate you. It was an incredible conversation. I hope to do it again soon. Hopefully you can send more tweets and we can talk about those and we can see where this goes. Hopefully at some point too in the next few years, we'll be able to talk about how right we were because these these psychopaths got got proven to be psychopaths and people woke up and um, they are no longer in places of power. You can only hope. That's right, man. All right. All right. That's we'll all take we got. care. You too, dude. This is all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love. Okay.